You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Uh, hey, last Sunday we began a series where we were kind of talking um, about 3D Christmas, in which we talked about how an ever-growing segment of our culture, that more and more people are kind of choosing to see Christmas in what we would call 2D, meaning the focus and the meaning of Christmas often kind of boils down to what and when. You know, when is Christmas? When am I celebrating Christmas with my side of the family? What day of the week will we be kind of getting together to exchange gifts? As I said last week, we kind of had that discussion even amongst our staff with Christmas Eve being next Sunday. You know, we were kind of thinking, when are we going to be doing, you know, services uh, next Sunday? And we just, you know, kind of talked about doing one big service, you know, next week at 9 o'clock. We're not going to do a 1045 service, and then we'll do a 5 o'clock. So we We've even had that kind of discussion amongst ourselves, you know. So, uh, you know, when am I celebrating Christmas? You know, if you've got uh, grown kids, you've got grandkids, or that maybe you're out of state, then oftentimes the question kind of becomes, when am I going to see my kids? When am I going to see my grandkids? That is the when of Christmas. The what of Christmas is basically, what should I buy so-and-so for Christmas? What do I want for Christmas? And again, for a growing segment of our culture, those kind of seem to be the two concerns when it comes to Christmas, when and what. See, many people ignore or they just miss altogether the third question that we talked about last week, and that is the why of Christmas. Why did God take on human flesh and be born on this earth. As I said last week, many people, again, just choose to see Christmas in 2D, when and what, but never see it in 3D, because again, they just ignore or they just completely miss the why of Christmas. Let me just give you kind of a classic example of what I'm talking about. Billboard magazine released the top Christmas songs of 2016, this time last year. And these were the songs that were the most popular songs by demand of all the Christmas songs that would be sung or heard throughout 2016. I'm going to start with just number 10, and then I'll take you to number uh, one. Number 10 was Last Christmas by Wham. I don't think I've ever heard that one, but that was number 10. Number nine was It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Number eight was Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Number seven was the Trans-Siberian Orchestra's rendition of Christmas Eve. Number six was Holly Jolly Christmas by Burl Ives. Number five, Feliz Navidad. Number four was Jingle Bell Rock. Number three was the Christmas song. Number two, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. And number one was Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Aww. Now here's the thing, if someone came to our country and was not familiar with the concept or the idea of Christmas, just listening to Christmas music, they would not get the idea that this holiday had anything to do with a little baby boy named Jesus born over 2,000 years ago. And in case you're wondering, the first time a spiritual Christmas song made the list was number 27, Silent Night, and another one didn't make it until number 53, Do You Hear What I Hear? 
I mean, you go around uh, places today, uh, neighborhoods, and you'll see more Santa Clauses, reindeers, snowmen, and sleighs than you will anything about Jesus. In fact, a survey taken last year shows that now um, more than one half of Americans celebrate Christmas not as a religious holiday, but more as a secular holiday. When children go to bed on Christmas Eve night, the vast majority of them are thinking a lot more about Santa and the North Pole than they are about Jesus and Bethlehem. In fact, one of the ways you can tell whether you are older or younger, when you're younger, if you remember, the question you kept asking yourself was, will Christmas ever get here? When you're older, your question becomes, is Christmas here again already? True, right? Something has happened in our culture where the focus and the meaning of Christmas is shifting more and more away from the spiritual to the secular. And that has not always been the case, obviously. Stop and think what it must have been like over 2,000 years ago when every Jewish child was told a story more wonderful and more awe-inspiring than the story of Santa. It's a story that begins with a promise and a prophecy that we looked at last week in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. For thousands of years, based upon this one verse in Genesis 3.15, children in Jewish homes were taught that one day God would send a Messiah, a deliverer, someone who would not just rule over them, but rule over the entire world. They even celebrated feasts and holidays to keep this in the minds of the people and to keep their expectations and their anticipation high. But that was part of the problem. Because you see, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia, there had been this anticipation and expectation of the coming Messiah. And the question would be asked, is this the year? Is this the month? Is this the week? Is this the day when the Messiah, God's promised Redeemer, would come? Generations came and generations went and there was no Messiah. For thousands of years, the Jewish people had been in the waiting room, but no baby. Many of you know one of the hardest places to be in life is in the waiting room not knowing what the doctor will say, not knowing whether or not the tumor is malignant or benign, not knowing whether it is even cancer or not, not knowing if the operation is successful, not knowing whether or not you'll get that job, not knowing whether you'll ever meet that special someone you can spend the rest of your life with. Today's message is for all of us who go through times in waiting rooms, especially God's waiting room, that place in our lives where we need God to come through in a big way, but it seems as if God isn't paying attention, that he doesn't know what we need. Perhaps he is indifferent and doesn't care what we need, or he's impotent and he cannot provide what we need. So this morning, I wanna just look at two stories in the New Testament book of Luke 
One is a story of a really old man and one of a really young girl who are testimonies that God always shows up on time, God always keeps his promises, and God knows exactly what he is doing. For all of us who find ourselves today in the waiting room or one day will, this is what we need to remember. Just wait. God is never late. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Luke chapter one. As we look into Luke chapter one, here are three things that would be helpful for us to remember while we're in God's waiting room. The first one is keep waiting. God is moving. Listen to verse five of chapter one. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abjah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now let me just tell you, if you had been reading this 2,000 years ago, you would have been immediately saddened and depressed by these words. When Luke wrote, in the time of Herod, it would be like saying in Germany in the 1940s or in the days of Adolf Hitler or in Russia in the 1950s in the days of Joseph Stalin. Herod was a Roman king installed by Caesar, and all of Israel was under the dominating rule of the Roman Empire, and the whole landscape, the whole culture was very depressing for the Jewish people. What was even worse was for 400 years, God had gone silent. For 400 years, Not a single prophet spoke a word from the Lord. Not a single miracle was seen by the hand of God, and even angels had quit showing up. The glory days of David and Solomon, they were a distant memory. The nation of Israel had changed leadership hands a whopping 25 times, and they had become the whipping boy of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, And many, many people had just given up hope on God. They felt either God had forgotten his promises or God had forsaken his people. And among the Jewish nation, there was this precious, beautiful couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we read in verse 6 some high praises of this couple. And there it says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. These were good people. They were godly people. In today's standards, these people would be kind of the pillars of society. You just don't get any better than righteous and blameless. And unlike many of their friends and neighbors, Zechariah and Elizabeth still believed God for his promise of the Messiah. They both held out hope. God had not forsaken them. God had not abandoned them. That God was not finished. In verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. There was one blot, one blemish on their record of life. They had no children. Now, you may not know this, but back in that day and time, if a woman did not have a child, she was considered cursed by God. Many women, many people believed that the woman was barren. It was because she had done something wrong, and this was God's punishment. Unfortunately, back in the day, women were always the ones who bore the brunt of the blame if there were no children. 
Even if their lives were filled with holiness and their souls were filled with goodness. So here is this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were godly, blameless, faithful. But they were also discouraged, despondent, and wondered what was God doing, not only in their lives, but in the lives of the nation of Israel. We go on to read that Zechariah was faithfully fulfilling his duties as a priest and was given the duty twice a year to go into the temple and to light and to burn incense. And while Zechariah is in the temple serving the Lord, this happens in verse 11. And there it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now again, do not miss the significance, the impact of this verse. Remember, up to this point, heaven had gone silent for 400 years. Not a word from God, not a work from God, and not a witness from God for 400 years. More and more people were inclined to say, God is dead, the dream has died, God's promises are empty. Then all of a sudden, seeming out of nowhere to the least likely of people in the least likely of places at the least likely of times, this angel shows up to make an announcement and to set off a chain reaction that would transform the world forever. And here's the point that you shouldn't miss, the last thing that anybody expected to happen, especially Zechariah, was for an angel of God to show up and not just speak, but to tell him of something that was about to happen that Zechariah and Elizabeth had long ago felt was absolutely impossible from a physiological and human viewpoint. But you know what? God is not bound by either physical principles or human perspective. Even though Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting for a child just like Israel had been waiting for a Messiah, they are all about to learn that even when we are in the waiting room, God is moving. God is doing something. God is never idle. God never takes a break. He never goes on vacation. And God is always moving in your life even when you don't know it, even when you don't sense it. The second thing to remember While you're in God's waiting room, keep working. God is listening. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they have been praying for a long time for a child. The scripture makes very clear that they were well advanced in years. They were very old. And in the Greek language, it gives the indication that they were probably somewhere in their 90s. If they had married in their mid to early 20s, as most couples did in those days, They had been praying for this child somewhere in the vicinity of 60 to 70 years. Now, Zechariah could have done what a lot of ministers have done. He could have just quit the ministry. He could have just said, what is the point in serving God? What good does it do to be righteous and holy and to fulfill my calling if God is not going to answer my prayer? What good is living for him anyway? Ever felt that way? It wouldn't be unusual. Statistics tell us that every year 1,700 ministers leave the ministry for various reasons. They just decide to quit, get out of full-time ministry and do something else. So you have to give credit to this couple, especially Zachariah, even though it appeared 
that God just flat out said no to his request for a child, God was still working and Zechariah was still praying. And the angel said this in verse 13, that the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Now I want you to listen to those five momentous words. Your prayer has been heard. Literally the angel said, was heard, past tense. Remember how long they had been praying for close to seven decades and the angel is telling them every prayer, every word was heard. How many times have you prayed and it just seems like the heavens are just covered with steel curtains? You get to thinking that your words are kind of just like rubber balls bouncing off a concrete wall. Do you ever find times where you just feel like you're praying and it's almost as if you're just talking to yourself or you're just talking to a wall? I think we all have been there a time or two. And again, it is so important in those times and in those places to always remember God is listening. God hears prayer. What this angel tells Zechariah should have been music to his ears. He tells him they're going to have a son, and you're to name that son John. Verse 13 continues, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Wow. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Do you realize God didn't just answer their prayer? He didn't just give them what they asked for. He gave them something even better than what they had asked for. He said, your son is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Meaning John would never know a day when he did not have the Spirit of God and all the years of sadness will be replaced with a gladness that they could have never, ever manufactured. And that baby will turn many hearts back to the Lord. And here's the thing. You may give up on God, but God has never given up on you. Israel had turned their back on God. Many of them did because they thought God had turned his back on them. And again, not only does God never turn his back on us, but he is always working and always listening to bring us back to him, even in those times when we may doubt and even disbelieve him. Now, given all of that, how does Zechariah respond? Well, he responds probably the way many of us would respond in that situation. Verse 18, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Think about that. Here's an angel of God, a messenger of God, telling him he's going to have a baby, and he still doesn't believe it. And all of you husbands, maybe boyfriends, fiancés, 
you know, maybe you need to take note. Zechariah may have been a righteous man, but I'm not sure he was a very smart man. He says, I am old. But man, you think I'm old, you should see my wife. That's what he says. That's what he says. I am old, but my wife, man, she is well along in years. In other words, he's basically saying, I am old, but, but my wife's even older. As a matter of fact, Moses is in her high school yearbook. So guys, Zacharias should be really, really grateful that Elizabeth wasn't around to hear that. Reminds me of the story of a woman who had put on a brand new Christmas dress and looked at her husband and asked that question no woman should ever ask her husband to answer. Honey, do I look fat in this dress? The husband thought for a moment, pointed to his shirt and said, do I look stupid in this shirt? Zechariah basically responds to the angel saying that both he and Elizabeth are well beyond the time physically to be able to have any children. It kind of sounds reminiscent of Abraham and Sarah, doesn't it? Yet listen to the angel's response in verse 19. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news and now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at the appointed time. So Zechariah pays the price of not believing God's messenger and God's messenger says you're not gonna be able to speak until after the child is born. But I want you to notice the last few words there. Which will come True at their appointed time. Now I want you to understand God had this day, this moment, this news marked on his calendar. Long before Elizabeth and Zechariah were even born, this was the predetermined plan of God. He had been listening to every prayer. He heard every word, and God was constantly moving in the events of the world, in the hearts of the rulers in power, to both bring Elizabeth and Zechariah and Israel to this very place at this very time. I want you to learn this and never forget it. God does not always do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. But when he does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, it is what we would have wanted all along. Let me say that again. God does not always do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. But when he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it, It is what we would have wanted. It is what we would have desired all along. So never give up on God's promises. Keep believing and keep doing whatever God has called you to do. Be faithful. Be patient. Be just. Be godly. And trust that at the right time, at the appointed time, God will deliver. There's one other person we're going to Consider in this story that gives us something else to remember when we're in the waiting room. The third thing to remember is keep watching. God is coming. Six months, okay, six months after the angel's conversation and encounter with Zechariah, this takes place in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's how I figured out it was six months later, 
Um, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Gabriel is back for round two. Now, there's one thing you can know. If an angel ever shows up and talks to you, it's going to be a good day, okay? If you get Gabriel showing up and talking to you, it's going to be a really good day, okay? If you thought Gabriel had good news for Zachariah and Elizabeth, listen to this in verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will not end. Here's this young girl who's never been physically intimate with a man, and now she's going to have a baby. I mean, think about this. This promise is bigger and even harder to believe than the promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here is a teenage girl, probably 12 or 13 years old, illiterate. She's a nobody from a nobody family, from a nobody town, and she isn't just going to have a baby. She's going to have the Messiah of the Jewish nation, the Savior of the world, the Lord of the universe, and the King of kings who will rule over a kingdom that will never end. At this point in time, there hadn't been a king in Israel for over 600 years. The nation of Israel was now under the domination of the most powerful empire in the world, and now the womb of this illiterate, poor, peasant girl was going to come forth the king of kings and the lord of lords. And it's only natural to ask the same question Mary did in verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And it's interesting that the angel doesn't give us a, a, a physiological answer. He gives us a theological answer in verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. See, from a medical, from a doctor's perspective, there's no explanation. We don't understand how this is even possible. But the angel gives us one explanation that should satisfy any doctor, gynecologist, pediatrician, and any other human being. In verse 37, it is this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. That one statement is the punchline of the whole story. That one statement is really what Christmas is all about. Nothing shall be impossible with God. Do you realize God can take nothing and create anything and everything? God can take an old man and an old woman in their 90s and give them a child. God can take a virgin like Mary and give her the Messiah that the world's been waiting for. God can even take on human flesh and come into the world as a man just like us. 
God can raise the dead. God can forgive any sin because, as the scripture says, nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Christmas is exhibit A, folks, that when you are in the waiting room, no matter how long the wait has been, never, never give up, right? You keep waiting because God is moving. You keep working, you keep being diligent. Keep doing what God is calling you to do because he's listening. You keep watching because God is coming. Let me just close with this. Do you know what the name Zechariah means? His name means God remembers. God remembers every promise he ever makes and God keeps every promise he makes. Christmas is a glorious, awesome testimony of that. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.